This episode of the Series A podcast is brought to you by the Blockchain Founders Fund. The Blockchain Founders Fund is a global entrepreneurship and investment fund that focuses on adding value to emerging technology and blockchain projects with real-world applications. The Blockchain Founders Fund supports seasoned and first-time entrepreneurs across the key business function with a hands-on intensive go-to-market venture program. Our second sponsor is SGI Partners based in New York City. SGI Partners is a private investment firm that pursues compelling investment opportunities in middle market businesses. SGI has a flexible mandate to invest across the capital structure in control-oriented investments, ranging from strategic financing to buyouts, allowing us to implement innovative investment strategies that preserve invested capital and mitigate risk while driving growth and creating value. As an, inv- as an advisor to SGI partners, I help identify investment targets in my geographical area. Now on to this fantastic new episode. Diego Espinoza is co-founder at Voice DAO, which is based in LA. And Diego is currently based in San Miguel de Allende, if I didn't kill this. Uh, in, in the past, uh, Diego has been CEO of HealthCoin, uh, also adjunct professor of finance uh, at University of San Diego and a hedge fund manager, among other endeavors. Uh, Diego, welcome to the Series A podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, why don't we get started? Uh, if you can tell us a little bit about your background, uh, the short version, and uh, how was uh, Voice DAO? Uh, w- what sparked the initiation of Voice DAO? Sure, thanks, Serge. Um, yeah, so I, I started out actually studying environmental engineering because I really cared a lot about the environment, and um, and life just took me in a different direction. So I went into finance. Um, and I became eventually a money manager and a Wall Street research analyst and a research director and just had a career uh, in that sphere. I did manage a couple of uh, sustainable funds at that time. So I, I tried to kind of keep up with what was happening and, and, and maintain an interest in it. Um, and then um, when, when I uh, basically got a chance to design a new uh, web free project, um, I took. I, I thought there was a big problem in that people were getting greenwashed as to what kind of investments they should make and, and products they should buy. Um, and as we get closer and closer to, you know, 2030 and missing a lot of really important targets uh, for climate and and, and other uh, issues, I think people are just going to be. It's going to be top of mind. Like people are really going to care about like what actual impact they're having on the planet. And so it's time for a redo of all of these like traditional sustainability uh, platforms that we have, like in TradFi and 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 in e-commerce. So the thought occurred to me um, that we needed to kind of build a new version of it on Web3, and that's how Boys Dow got really got started because I uh, I wanted to kind of go back to those roots and do something really impactful and uh, and try to recreate that whole experience of ESG and consumer sustainable purchasing in a web three version that is does things that only web three can do. You mentioned that you managed uh, a couple of sustainable funds. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So I, I used to manage actually a $10 billion uh, global portfolio and a couple of the, a couple of the portfolios within that it was institutional money um, were 
were mandates to invest according to sustainable investing principles. So, you know, we had to be do negative screening as to what could could or could not be in the portfolio. And um, and so that that was kind of within my within the, the universal portfolios that I managed at the time. And uh, you were also the creator of the health coin. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I kind of skipped over Healthcoin. So, so what happened with that is, I mean, like you know, this last kind of eight years for me has really all been characterized around having, wanting to have impact. And so, when uh, the two things that I really care about having impact on one is is the planet, and the other one is health, uh, human health. And so, uh, Healthcoin was a way to was one of the early projects to get our health data on the blockchain, um, so that we could own our personal health data and permission it and keep it private, keep it encrypted. Um, and uh, so that launched in around 2016. I took it into consensus uh, in 2017, and so it became a consensus spoke um, during that time. And uh, and basically developed a, a Web3 protocol for um, storing and permissioning your personal data on on the chain on Ethereum. And so we were it had a team that coded it up and. Um, and then unfortunately, A, it was healthcare, which is really hard to do things in if you don't have a terribly long runway and, and B, crypto winter set in. Um, and so it kind of messed with a lot of projects at the time. So um, I still have a really big interest in healthcare, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm now more focused on the uh, kind of trying to help the planet in, in terms of environmental and, and social issues. Okay, so since you are a finance guy, I'm going to ask you a couple uh, current questions. Do you think crypto winter is currently setting in um you know i don't th- i don't think so for what it's worth uh i think that um you know obviously everyone has to make their own investment decisions but i, I think that what's interesting about this time period is that aside from all the um, amazing things that decentralization can do and defi and nfts and these great use cases there is a big macro uh trend that's supporting crypto and, and and I think like in a major, major way. So we, we haven't seen these levels of inflation in a long time. Um, I personally don't think that they're going to go away anytime soon. And I think structurally, a lot of uh, country, major countries in the world are kind of set up to have higher inflation. And um, and then you see crypto falling as inflation goes up, which which to me makes you know very little sense. I mean, I understand why it's happening, but I, I believe that it's going to create a great tailwind um, as a macro trend for the next 10 years, because people do not own, you know, I'm a TradFi guy in a sense originally, and I'm more familiar with what people, the way people construct their portfolios. And I can, you know, it's my opinion that TradFi people do not structure their portfolios with inflation hedges today. And so when they start to, to go out and look for them, obviously, uh, crypto is crawling with inflation hedges. And so that's going to be a great tailwind on top of everything else that's happening. And so I, the reason why I mentioned that is because it's it's more of a near-term question, right? If, if it becomes obvious that inflation is not going to decline as quickly as people are thinking, um, then we may be seeing the effects of this in the next three to six months in terms of how people construct, construct their portfolios and what they want to put in them. And so so for me, that makes me uh, optimistic about the near-term on and one more question on this subject I would like to ask you. It seems that crypto is highly correlated with NASDAQ, especially these past days. Does it make sense to be correlated directly with the NASDAQ or, I mean, the United States stock market in general? 
I mean, I, I guess it makes sense on some level in the sense that it is a technology and the NASDAQ has a lot of technology stocks. So crypto as an asset class sometimes acts like a bunch of technology stocks. And, um, and that's been happening in the last you know, few weeks and months. Um, but I don't think that makes sense longer term. Uh, for a bunch of reasons. Number one, I think I think Web3 is going to challenge a lot of those same technology stocks. So it's going to be hopefully an inverse relationship at some point, right? They're going to go down and and, and uh, crypto is going to go up. Um, that's one reason. The second reason is this macro trend. From a macro standpoint, I don't think they that, uh, I think many, many projects within crypto should not be considered technology stocks, but more like macro hedges. And um, And I just think that people are not afraid enough yet of inflation to think of things that way. Like we're in this kind of transition period where we see really high inflation, but really people are not scared, right? And um, and so once they get scared, things can change very rapidly. Back to HealthCoin, uh, is there something like that uh, currently existing? Because uh, owning your health data and taking them uh, to from hospital to hospital or from doctor to doctor or to your uh, iPhone, uh, it seems like a great idea, but does it exist? I would say there's two versions of that. Of that. Um, let's call them the inside and the outside version. The inside version wants to play with the healthcare sector to make this happen. And the healthcare sector is one of the most like traditional, inefficient, slow to change sectors in the economy. Second only, I think, to government and education, right? So healthcare, government, and education, always, always going to be the worst. Um, so the inside projects um, are trying to work with uh, with big institutions in the health industry to ha- have their cooperation to kind of like get data on the blockchain, personal data on the blockchain, and be able to share it. And I think that there's these are enterprise projects mostly, and there's a number of those of those kinds of projects. Um, the outside projects are the ones that are basically trying to bypass the healthcare system. And just make it like so as individuals, we can just put our healthcare data on the blockchain and it on, on chain and have dApps and be able to, to deal with it. Those pretty much like died off after crypto with winter set in. And I haven't seen, I think there were a couple of survivors, but I haven't seen really big new ones kind of come back. And I think that you will be seeing those fairly soon, I, I would think. Um, on the enterprise side, I'm I'm just kind of like a little skeptical. Like I, I think I've been in the healthcare sector long enough that expecting to bring the change from the inside is just going to be really, really hard. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm more kind of interested in seeing these outside projects that are just kind of like storming the gates, right? Like the real rebels. Um, and, and I just haven't really seen them come back um, the way that they existed back in 2017 as a wave. So I think we'll see that soon. Perhaps the users could have some sort of an incentive to uh, provide their data to uh, some sort of a blockchain application or perhaps um, do like an earn, earning uh, kind of model. Uh, so the more data you provide, the more you earn. But privacy, of course, is uh, of issue here uh, because you want to own your data. You, you don't want anybody else or any advertisers to own your uh, health data and uh, shoot you with um, advertisements with uh, respect to uh, something that you might have like uh, diabetes or uh, any any other kind of uh, uh, not disease but uh, wh- whatever you might be missing from your health 
Um, so yeah, I guess it's a big issue, but uh, it's definitely something I would like to ask you since you have uh, started this. So of course you didn't succeed, as you said, but this mm-hmm. is like in the world of uh, startups. Um, yeah. Moving on to voice. Uh, what, what is the one thing uh, that is most important in sustainability and is it about corporations? Is it about uh, individuals? Is it about universities? Why don't you tell us about it? Sure, uh, it's a great question. So I think the m- most important thing about sustainability can be boiled down into two, two parts. Uh, number one is um, whatever we've been doing for the last 20, 30 years is failing. Um, so, so number one, let's not keep doing the same thing, right? Because it hasn't worked. And so there's this whole sustainability industrial complex out there. It includes TradFi ESG. Uh, it includes um, a lot of uh, consumer kind of sustainability, corporate sustainability work and a lot of work, well-meaning people, like people are trying to make progress. I understand that. But let's be clear-eyed as analysts and look at the situation and say, is this working? And the answer is clearly no, it's not working. We're on track to be over 1.5 degrees centigrade. Uh, we are probably not going to reduce our carbon emissions by 43% in the next eight years, which is what the IPCC is calling for. I think we're going to fall way short of that, um, especially with, with you know, things like uh, armed conflicts going on. Um, and so, so these narratives and establishment around sustainability that we put into place has not put us on the trajectory that as humans we need to be on. And so we need to find something else to do. We need to find other ways of doing it. So that's why I don't even like the word sustainability because sustainability today means it's okay not to succeed. And I don't think it's okay not to succeed, to use a double negative. We have to succeed. So that, that's the first thing. And then the, the second thing is that um, government is kind of there to keep track of what corporations are doing. Corporations primarily are how humans impact the planet. Billions of us go to work in their supply chains every day and use their products every day. And that's, that is the way that humans are coordinated to impact the planet. And so corporations, like sustainability begins and ends with corporations, I think. So we can try to get government to control corporations. It's not working. It's not working in, in most of the countries that I look at, right? So what is the alternative? And that means that as, as citizens, as individuals, as consumers, we need to start becoming an external governance layer on what corporations do directly. All of the humans on this planet that really care about the future and want to align with a livable world need to start to take collective action to regulate what corporations do without having to go through government. And that's essentially what Voice DAO is about. So it's not working as number one. And number two, we have to go directly to corporations to try to influence them and govern them. And those two things are, are really needed to create a livable future. So are you mainly referring to the U.S. market or, uh, as you said, in other uh, countries uh, or continents as well? No, I I mean, look, I think the U.S. is way behind. Uh, You know, European had something like half the carbon footprint per capita of Americans. Um, So clearly they're doing something right and better. So I I think that culturally there's much more acceptance of, you know, climate is the problem and and other problems. but, I, but I, I think it would be helpful for the U.S. to be more like Europe, obviously, right? Really reduce carbon footprint. But I don't know that even, even Europe is at the level where its control of corporations is, is sufficient to get us on a trajectory to a liberal world. And so I think that this, 
that what we need is a global movement of humans. You can call them consumers, you can call them citizens, whatever. Um, but basically, we are the people that buy the products that impact the planet, and we don't have a say in how they're made. And so we need to start to have a say. That's the key thing. So how does uh, voice DAO help in that? So um, I think the main, the first thing is transparency, right? So there's a lot of greenwashing, which is what you call it when you know uh, companies try to tell you that they're being very sustainable, but they're not. Once you look at, once you investigate the claims. So uh, ESG in particular, which by some measures is 38 trillion dollars in assets, uh, even that number is greenwashed. Um, ESG has a ton of greenwashing in it. So you look at a fund and it'll be like, this is great for the planet and this is good, you know, and then you, you look at the whole things and they don't really make much sense in the context of that. So, um, so I think that there's this whole kind of edifice of ESG that, that really needs to change. Uh, and, and so what that means is consumers need more transparency about what is good for the planet and what is bad for the planet. And they not only need that transparency, they need a way to uh, align themselves And so what we've seen with um, with some Web2 apps and beginning with Web3 apps is when you gamify stuff and when you make stuff socially constructed, it starts to be this user user experience, which is like like really gratifying and, and fun and also very social. And I think we need those kinds of experiences to create a little world because it's not like, oh, you should recycle on your own, right? Like that's not going to take us there. We need mass numbers of people, millions and millions of people aligning on the same uh, kind of choices and then going on quests to influence corporations. So those kinds of user experiences are what uh, Web3 really lends itself to and what we can start to invent. Would you say Voice is a startup? Uh, is it for profit? Is it non-profit? So we've decided to structure voice DAO as a hybrid. Um, so at, at the heart, it's it's a DAO, which means uh, it, it's um, a, not a for-profit or a non-profit. Basically, it's a it's a decentralized organization, a community, um, and it's a mostly a community of college students uh, today, and, and is likely to be that for the near future as we grow. So so what they are doing is they're rating uh, the sustainability of products, funds. Uh, Web3 tokens. So we're, we're, we did our first crypto ESG hackathon last weekend. Um, and so we've, we've, we're basically growing that community. We're starting to implement decentralized DAO govern, governance on platforms. Um, and then we decided that to commercialize the activities of that community, it's kind of hard to monetize products within a DAO, like discrete products, because of the kind of decision-making that you make. And, and you have to really have an emphasis on the user when you come up with, uh, with, with products like dApps. So we decided to have the DAO be part owner of a venture um, in the form of a trust for the benefit of the DAO community. Um, so we're creating this kind of hybrid co-op model where there's, a, there's this kind of like for-profit equity venture. Uh, it's partly owned by a trust that benefits the DAO community. And then it's partly owned by the team uh, and the investors. And so we've seen these kinds of models in the co-op space. I think there's some, some similar models in the Web3 space, and that's the route that we decided to take. So this, uh, this part of the DAO is uh, an investing DAO? Um, in, a, in a sense. I mean, what, what, what it is is basically that the DAO will own this venture that will create software, right? And, and so the DAO doesn't create software itself that is useful to people. It owns part of a venture that creates software that's useful to people. And the, the piece of software that we're building is a way for people to uh, come together and look at the ratings on products and funds and crypto tokens and basically choose their collection or portfolio 
of what they want to align themselves with. So what products do you want to buy? What TradFi funds do you want to buy? What, uh, what three tokens do you want to buy? If you were saying, uh, uh, you were talking about the portfolio of the venture uh, side of the DAO. Yeah, when I say venture, I don't mean that it's like a VC. What I'm saying is that it's it's a venture. It's a startup um, with with an equity cap table and investors and that kind of thing. So that's what this hybrid model is. So is there a token for Voice? Yeah, so what we're going to have is basically Voice DAO as a community is going to issue its token, and that token will be used to reward the community um, as it goes to higher and higher levels of education. So we haven't talked much about education here, but but like what we do is we train people, we educate them in sustainability and how to analyze products and what's going on in, in sustainability. And so we're performing this big education role. So as you as you move up, you'll you'll get rewarded with uh, voiced out tokens. Um, and so that's basically the, the flywheel of the community in terms of incentivization. Um, and um, and then uh, separately, we'll have that kind of equity in the in the equity side of the venture, which is commercializing these products. So you can think of Voice DAO as a community benefiting from that because it owns part of that venture in a trust. Is it uh, registered in Wyoming? Um, so we're still working through all, all the kind of legal structure um, right now. So so chances are we it won't be registered in Wyoming, but that's just a I guess that I have because it probably will not be an LLC, um, and I'm, I'm more familiar with kind of Wyoming LLCs that are supposed to benefit be beneficial for DAOs. I think what this is, what the more important piece of this that, that we need to develop and explore, uh, which some projects have been down the road on, which is to uh, construct a trust which owns shares that is for the benefit of the community. So it's not that the individuals in the community will own the shares; it's that the the trust will decide what to do with the money that upstreams uh, for the benefit of the community. So this will be done through smart contracts? Um, no, I don't think that, I think that part will be, uh, you know, some, some, some kind of a perpetual purpose trust or something like that, which is, these are kind of like IRL models um, that exists. So that's what we're uh, investigating where this is, this is more of kind of like uh, off-chain uh, governance and and trying to run something in a traditional venture way that's part owned by the community, which is a DAO. Okay, uh, and you said the um, uh, members of the DAO are going to be rewarded with the tokens. Is that correct? They will be. Yes. Uh, so, which uh, blockchain are you going to be using? Ethereum. Uh, great yeah, great question. Um, so we're we're looking right now at, at, at a few options. Um, we're we're doing some governance uh, and some incentivization on Ethereum today, um, but we and we know that Ethereum wants to move to proof of stake, which is more sustainable technology. Uh, proof of work is you know incredibly uh, uh, wasteful and produces carbon emissions. Um, but I think our community wants to accelerate this kind of like. Um, choice of a more sustainable chain today rather than waiting around for ethereum to you know kind of improve its, its sustainability so uh we're looking there there fortunately there are chains that are very intentional um about their attitude towards sustainability in terms of the ecosystem that they're creating and so forth and um examples are cello uh in particular which is uh, that's cello um, and um, and there are a few others which are which are have very intentional teams, and so we're actively looking at uh, those platforms and how we, we might be able to integrate with them. 
When do you think uh, it's going to be ready so that uh, people who are interested to participate uh, are going to be able to log in like your uh, application or enter a Discord channel or something to be more educated and get involved with the voice? Yeah, so so we've had about 500 college students come through. Uh, so on, on the rating side, um, we we so far have kind of limited ourselves to college students, um, but we we would definitely be uh, uh, interested or, or welcome other people who are, who are interested in this kind of work. And so we run this program where we train them to be sustainability analysts. Um, they rate funds and products and Web three tokens, and so that's already ongoing. And we're we're taking on a um, probably about a hundred person cohort this summer. Um, summer tends to be our bigger cohorts, so. Um, I think what's going to be new this fall is that as a consumer, um, we'll we'll have you know kind of a late fall uh, a beta version of our of our DAP where you'll be able to look at the ratings of products and funds and decide which ones of those you would buy and essentially kind of like keep those collections and share them with other people so that you can start we can start to create this experience of socially constructed uh, collections of sustainable things that are aligned with the local world. I think that that's going to be ready um, sometime kind of late fall. Okay, so you are starting starting with universities, I assume U.S. universities. Uh, is this kind of the route uh, Facebook took in order to expand to uh, everybody? <laughs> I hate the comparison, but maybe I don't know. Um, I think I think it's it's natural for us to uh, expand in college campuses because it's a community of people who really cares about the planet. Um, really is interested in, in, they have no no stake in the current system in a sense, right? And so, so as opposed to someone who's been working 25 years in ESG, like doesn't want to hear that ESG is not working. But when you go to a college student and say ESG is not working, they're like, oh, yeah, I get that. That's pretty obvious, right? So that that's the huge difference between these populations. And um, and so they have great minds and uh, and they're able to do this work really, really well. Um, so expanding in college students, like we have a chapter at Cambridge is one of our largest chapters. We're actually really big in the UK as well as the US. Um, and so we're growing very rapidly within Cambridge. So we think we can replicate these campus chapters and, and grow all over the world. Um, and so with, so all over the world, college students are different in a sense, but they tend to have the same perspective on what's happening on the planet. And so it's just a fantastic way for us to grow and, and, and uh, really scale fast. And uh, have you made any predictions about the price of the token? No, I would never do that. <laughs> no, I think I think that uh, you know. Of, I, I would say, you, of course, uh, you would. You are uh, in finance. Yeah, but uh, um, I would say, George, one of one of the most challenging things about being an impact project in Web three is trying to manage this um, these different constituencies. So you have a constituency see that wants the token to go up and you want and that same constituency wants to do something for the planet but it might also might be a different constituency and so i think that a lot of projects have had growing pains trying to kind of like work through that and so our plan is to put through a very compelling value proposition if if we execute if we do what we're supposed to be doing we will really benefit the planet and uh and and the token will gain visibility and uh and it'll be widely used you know those are elements that tend to be supportive of the price. Um, and so we, we want to make it so that we have like, you know, there's just one proposition of voice dialogue. Like, this is what we're trying to do. Everyone come on and support us. 
Um, and you can make up your own mind as to why you're doing that. But but our goal is to scale, to be big. And, it, and we want to scale and be big because right now, if we don't do something really, really fast that involves literally hundreds of millions of people in change, we're not going to make it. Right. And so, so I, I think that that's like a very clear eye. That's not doomerism or scaremongering or whatever. That's the very clear eye. I'm a financial analyst. I do spreadsheets. I got all this stuff. I, t- I use the same approach when I look at sustainability. Are we on track? Like, are you on track to meet this year's earnings? Yes or no? Like, no, you're not on track. That's what I used to do when I was an analyst. Are we on track to meet any of our targets on sustainability? No, we're not on track. Right. We need to do something very fast to get on track. So, the, so this is the reason why we want to be a really big project and to scale. Not every project needs to scale. We really do want to scale. And in terms of financing the voice DAO, are you uh, seeking out to venture capitalists for financing, or how, how do you pay the for uh, development and everything? Yeah, so we've we've done uh, an early raise of selling some uh, Solarpunk NFTs. We're really big on the concept of Solarpunk uh, because it's like hope for the future, but also. Uh, resistance to the status quo, right? So those two things, that's what gets us away from doomerism or dysfunctional kind of cyberpunk, um, dystopian cyberpunk. So so we uh, issued these solar punk tokens and so we had like a, a, a initial round of funding from people who really wanted to support us. Um, very thankful for that. I think uh, in the next uh, phase, we're going to be launching an equity offering uh, in the form of a safe in the venture um in the venture side and to fund the development of our software um we're also going to be going to chains for grants um and then we're also going to be uh, issuing a token so the timing of each one of those um is something that we're still kind of working working out um but it, but but definitely we're going to be in active uh, uh fundraising mode in the next six months because we have we have a very significant piece of software to build, like uh, public.com, which builds, uh, which is a, an app for socially constructing um, TradFi portfolios, stock portfolios, is um, kind of a first of its kind kind of app because you, you don't socially construct these things, right? Usually you go to an advisor or you look at MarketWatch or you look at these things and you get a lot of financial data. It's a new experience to socially construct them. They raised $300 million mm-hmm. in four years, right? So they're kind of like our UX inspiration. We think we can be the public.com of sustainability within Web3. Um, so we, we will have significant capital needs going. I'm, I'm not sure we need $300 million because I'm sure they're gonna spend a lot of that on Facebook advertising, which we hopefully will not need to do. Um, but that, that gives you a sense of the scale of, uh, of the things that, of, of what's needed to achieve what we're trying to achieve. So Diego, is this the, the first DAO that you are creating? Yeah, this is the first DAO, uh, and, and and I would say the interesting thing about this DAO is that we created an in real life organization that was decentralized from the beginning. So when we launched, we had nothing to do with blockchain. I went to a bunch of college students and we're like, hey, do you want to uh, be involved in this community where you're going to learn how to do this stuff and rate stuff and, and you're going to run it? And so from the very beginning, the value proposition of college students is like, you're running this thing, we're here to support you. Right. And so we had a decentralized community before we had technology for a decentralized community. What, what DAO software is going to enable us to do is scale much faster. But the first kind of 18 months of our existence have been, have been basically like kind of like a co-op where uh, the founding team really takes a backseat and, uh, and college students are making decisions about uh, what's important and what to do. Would it be possible for uh, a DAO to be a university and um, the students, instead of paying, to learn, uh, be rewarded 
to learn. Do you see yeah, I mean, like a scenario of that happening sometime in the future? I do. I, I think that um, we are a little bit of a Trojan horse for education. And the, the reason I say that is because college students come and spend uh, for eight weeks, eight hours a week in our program. So it's a big investment of time. Like we've had 40,000 hours uh, of people invested in our program. And that's time. And these are very busy college students that happen to be from like really good uh, colleges and universities across UK, US, and Europe. And, and so why are they spending their time with us? And it's because they're not getting what we offer from universities and colleges. We're very practical. We're very passionate. We're mission-driven. Um, and we're giving them a sustainability education that is not possible on an integrated way in, in colleges. So you could say the same thing about many, many other aspects of education. We just in the little corner that we have is a sustainability education. So, um, so if, you, if you were to piece together all these different pieces that are being built in Web3, you can make a university out of them, right? And that's the great thing about Web3 is composability. Like, like every Web3 project is composable with every other project because they're decentralized and there's no kind of like central authority to try to hoard everything and create a moat around it, right? So I believe that you're going to see composable universities where it's like, I earn this NFT from this project and I earn this one from this project and this one from this project. And then this other project is going to certify me that all of that adds up to something really significant, right? And that's a new conception of a university, which is not just one, not one institution, but like a lot of decentralized play to earn uh, or, or learn to earn kind of activity where you're you're earning tokens as you go along you're earning nfts and then somebody certifies that you do stuff and that could very easily replace many aspects of yours yeah let's talk about the certification part of this uh, <laughs> so who would certify something like that i mean the, wouldn't this uh, disrupt the entire education market yeah i mean there's the project uh, uh called uh, learner.io i think it's l-i-n-i-r um, and their their whole uh, reason for being is to basically certify learning that's going on outside of universities, and um, and so I think you're going to see many many such projects. And there's like, you know, there's so many different ways to certify how people learn, right? Like some people say like you should give them tests and multiple choice, and other people are like that doesn't really measure what you learn and the practical usefulness of it. So there's other. So I think there's going to be many many different ways to certify, and many DAOs basically like. Um, appearing on the scene to perform this function. And so that's what I mean by composability. The person that certifies doesn't have to be the person that provides the content, right? And the person that provides the content doesn't even need to be the person that basically like um, uh, is your mentor or your teacher or your professor. So all of these things can be disaggregated and kind of re-aggregated in the end. And everybody would be rewarded with the token of each DAO. For example, exactly. there would be a DAO for engineering, a DAO for uh, philosophy, a DAO for music, or many DAOs for uh, each subject. <laughs> there, could, there could well be. Or, or like in our case, we're a multidisciplinary DAO, so we want people to learn a little bit about chemistry, a little bit about climate, a little bit about um, social justice. So we kind of like perform a more integrative function. So I think you'll see both kinds. Uh, Diego, I would like to thank you very much for uh, participating in the Series A podcast. It was a very interesting uh, conversation, of course. Uh, we are going to be looking what the Voice DAO is going to do in the future. And uh, I'm going to include all the necessary links uh, in the show notes. It has been a real pleasure and an honor.
Same for me, George. Thank you so much for inviting me uh, and a very interesting conversation for myself. Thanks. Bye-bye.